goal of an air gap network is to remain free and clear of any outside malicious activity. No outside connections means no chance of any attacks hitting the network, right? Well, after the Stuxnet attack that hit an air-gapped Iranian nuclear facility in, in Natanz that effectively damaged hundreds of centrifuges, it's clear even an air-gapped facility is not safe and secure. While you can say that was more of a military action, there have been other successful infiltrations of air-gapped systems. Now, over the past 12 years or so, we've heard air-gapped networks just don't exist. But in the era of Industry 4.0 or digitalization, where all we hear about is this new connected frontier, I've heard more talk about organizations being protected by air-gapped networks than I ever have before. And that just leads to the question, how secure are air-gapped systems? Hello, my name is Greg Hale, and welcome to another Today with ISS Source podcast. With us today to explore that question are Sal Morlando, Senior Director of Products at Security Provider OpsWAT, and Matt Wiseman, Senior Product Manager also at OpsWAT. Uh, Sal and Matt, welcome. Uh, Greg, thank you very much for having us on the podcast. I'm looking forward to answering the questions around air gap security. Yes, thanks, Greg. Looking forward to it. All right, great. And before we get into the discussion, I'm going to ask both of you, and uh, Sal, we'll start with you, but can you define the phrase air gap? Yes, Greg. Air gap is a, a security measure or a means to isolate a device or a network from other devices or networks. So if you look at a critical asset and you want to isolate that asset from any outside network-borne threats, you would have that asset disconnected from any other network. So it runs isolated from any network. So that's fundamentally the definition of an air gap. Okay. And Matt, is that definition similar to what you're saying? Or is that, you know, do you have any other thoughts on that? Definitely, Greg. I think, you know, the idea of an air gap, it goes a long way to think that you can protect yourself from the broader internet. And we've seen this, you know, built into different regulation in varying industries. Nuclear, for example, is one that uh, requires an air gap network. Okay. Now, as I said in the intro, uh, Matt, or I'm sorry, Sal, in this uh, era of increased connectivity through a more digital environment, are, are you seeing that air gap networks are being used today? Yeah, increasingly. Air gap networks, if you think of the various critical infrastructure markets, so air gap networks are being used in you know, power generation, uh, water, wastewater, and a number of other critical industries as a way of isolating their critical assets in the OT operational network from any outside threats. So air gaps will be continued to be deployed in a number of uh, critical markets. I don't see air gaps being moving away from air gap. It's, it's just uh, it's the opposite. More industries will adopt air gap as a means to protect from outside network-borne threats. Has this been something that's been, I mean, again, you know, when Ryan and I, really got into security, you know, quite a long time ago, the idea of air gaps was, you know, everybody kind of poo-pooed that. But I mean, so air gaps have been used all along. And, and what are the challenges of using these air gap networks? You still have systems that are operating within the air gap network that uh, need to be monitored for their health, uh, need to be updated and kept current. 
and need to exchange data with systems that are residing outside of the air gap. So the challenges really stem from the use of secure technologies that can move data securely into and out of an air gap network. A number of technologies have emerged to address that while maintaining isolation between the air gap network and outside networks. And are there any kinds of differences, um, Sal, between securing an air gap network versus any other type of network? Yeah, there's a number of challenges. Typically, air gap networks are deployed in environments that are require a substantial amount of reporting and compliance reporting with regulatory agencies. So the movement of data into and out of an air gap network needs to be reported and monitored. Uh, So that's one aspect that makes it more complicated. And the selection of technology for moving uh, data in and out of an air gap network is more complicated or more demanding, I should say, than, say, a non-air gap network. So it's using standard IT network segmentation practices are not acceptable for an air gap environment. Mm -hmm. Well, what are the best technologies for bridging an air gap? Well, there's a number of technologies. So first, unidirectional security gateways are a choice for moving data from from air gap network out. What that technology is, is it's an enforced one-way transfer of data across a protocol break so that the source network and destination network, essentially the air gap network and the outside network, are not connected over a routable connection. So that's an approved technology that's uh, used by, say, the nuclear power generation industry and a number of other uh, critical infrastructure markets for securely moving data out or moving data in while preserving an air gap. The other key technology is with portable media security. And I think, uh, Matt, maybe you want to elaborate a bit more on that. Sure. Thanks, Sal. Yeah, you know, when it comes to bringing data into or out of these areas, whether you're collecting logs or going to apply an update, you're often reliant on removable media or USB devices to apply those you know, patches or updates or bring logs in and out. And bringing in an unscanned USB device can pose a huge risk. So we need to ensure that there's some type of scanning station or kiosk in place so that all data brought in has been checked and sanitized before it's allowed into that uh, protected network. Okay, and we saw in the in the Stuxnet incident, the Natanz nuclear facility, as I had mentioned in the intro again, that was an air-gapped environment, but an overwhelming attack took place. I mean, you know, it wiped out hundreds of centrifuges. So, and this was conducted via portable media. Just how can you uh, protect against that? And I know you kind of touched on that, Matt, but I mean, uh, can you elaborate a little bit more? Of course. Yeah, you know, all portable media really does pose quite a large threat, Greg. When you have these, you know, these networks that are air gapped and they're isolated from the broader internet, we need to bring things in and out. That being said, you know, it's really a necessity in order to get data in and out of these environments to use some type of tool. But there's a lot of things we can do to be more secure about the use of removable media. And, you know, to me, it really comes down to three key areas to make sure that we're as safe as possible. The first would be with our people, right? They tend to be our weakest link, and we need to make sure that everyone's trained and understands how to bring these, you know, bring USBs in and out of a protected network, right? We need to be sure that they're aware of the threat that these devices uh, can cause, and uh, training everyone on a regular basis can be extremely effective. 
It can help to create you know, more of a culture of cybersecurity within your organization, keeping cyber top of mind. I think the second piece would be policy, to have clear, defined, written policy around the use of any type of USB or removable media to ensure that there are no gaps, right? We want to make sure that when we go from one facility to another, these devices are being treated in the same way. And I think the last piece would be through technology. So to have strong cybersecurity technology in place that's designed for your environment is really a must. If your people are trained well and they're aware of the risks, you have policy about what they need to do, and then technology that can actually you know, scan these, these different USB devices, ensure that what's being brought in is safe, and to have that physical presence of a kiosk at uh, you know, the entrance to a facility or near a control room, it again just helps to drive in that idea of a culture of cybersecurity. Cyber is always top of mind. It's in front of our people. And if you focus on those three key areas, I think that's really you know, the best practice here as far as keeping your uh, facility and operations as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. Sal, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, as, as industries move towards outsource management, more vendor involvement in the management of the infrastructure, there's, there's uh, you know, portable media security, as Matt outlined, is, is critically important. But there's also the, the deployment of other technologies, which will allow the secure movement of files in without using portable media. So the idea of using a, a unidirectional gateway, for example, to uh, move only a specific file that's meant for an update into the critical infrastructure can be deployed so that you have a combination of security policies where you have a a trusted employee can use the portable media to move data securely into the environment or an outside vendor that may not have gone through your security policy training, right, could use this alternate technology to move just the file in and not bring in a potentially infected USB cable. So there's a number of ways of enhancing the security around the use of portable media that can be deployed today. Mm -hmm. This is going to may sound, you know, with your knowledge, this may sound a little weird, but someone I deal with in the industry said, you know, no one uses USB devices or USB drives in the industry anymore. And, And while I don't agree with that, just how often are they being used today? That's a great question, Greg. So I've seen a lot of discussion in this area. And I think it's really attributed to the awareness that's growing around the risk and potential threat of USB devices. And I think we're seeing a greater urgency to control their use. You know, I've heard people say, oh, you know, we don't allow any USB devices to be brought into our facilities. And then I ask, well, you know, what if a contractor arrives or a vendor and they need to bring that device in to apply updates or, you know, whatever they may be doing. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, it's a bit challenging. It tends to vary based on the site leader and it's more of a more of an ad hoc system. And to me, that makes me quite nervous. I would much rather have clearly defined policy, you know, how to manage an exception when a USB device needs to be brought in. Do you have a kiosk in place to scan it? What is, you know, what is the process? What are the steps? To have some type of, I guess, uh, vulnerable system, you're bringing this in, there's not a plan. That makes me nervous when it comes to cybersecurity and operations. I would much rather have uh, you know a formal plan in place on how to manage that. You know, as as Salman mentioned, you know we are seeing others look to other alternatives instead of uh, bringing the USB directly in, right? Some type of secure file transfer service can work quite well. Uh, and I've also seen others you know ban outside USB devices, meaning when an individual arrives on site, they have a USB device they need, they'll actually take that you know outside drive. 
they will scan it and they'll transfer the files to more of a clean, trusted uh, USB device that they've used before. There's you know faith in that being you know from a secure supply chain, and they'll bring that uh, trusted USB device with the scanned files into the facility. So the the ban of outside devices I've seen you know is really quite common. Now we're we're seeing um, you know there's no secret in the industry we're seeing uh, ransomware attacks continue to grow and and supply chain attacks uh, gaining more momentum. But just where do removable media attacks stack up today? And and I got a couple questions with this. And and what level of sophistication are they reaching? Are these more targeted attacks? That you know, using removable media, or is it are they more more general in nature? That's a really great question, Greg. So I guess there's there's a couple ways to approach this. You know, today I would say that USB attacks are extremely sophisticated. In the early days, you know, people were concerned about you know what what files may be on the USB, and you know that that was really where where our fears ended. Uh, but today, you know, they're quite advanced. The idea of USB and you know when it was designed, it was a much simpler time. And the actual USB device is responsible for presenting, you know, what it is and what it plans to do to the operating system. Security wasn't necessarily built into the design of this type of device. So the underlying operating system, you know, of the machine you're looking to use has a big job to determine what this is and you know, what its objectives are. So from there, we've seen there's now over 30 different types of USB threats going beyond simply the contents of the drive. Uh, but we're seeing people use USB through programmable microcontrollers and even electrical attacks, where you'll see the USB be plugged into a system, build up a charge over time, and then actually fry the machine um, with a large electrical attack that it's plugged into. So some really crazy stuff. There's, you know, a Bash Bunny is a pretty common uh, device that we'll see. And it's essentially a fully featured Linux computer that can fit in the palm of your hand. It can impersonate as a mass storage device, you know, that you might have photos on or, you know, the, the way you would typically use a USB storage device. But it can really do just so much more. So we're seeing this area grow and advance at a rapid rate. And I think my, you know, my recommendation to anyone using USB devices would be to try and stay on top of these new and emerging threats and make sure that they're constantly reevaluating their security plan to cover these new and emerging attacks. Now, I understand. I'm always confused about this uh, kind of question. Or, well, I understand devices can clear USBs from known malware. Um, in any kind of industrial setting, but just how can they protect against uh, any kind of zero-day, potential zero-day attack that obviously no one knows about? That's a great question. So I, I think it, you know, it really goes beyond just using antivirus, right? Antivirus engines are a great tool, and I think they should be a part of everyone's security program. But adding other technologies like CDR uh, with you know, content disarmament reconstruction technology to go into your files, look at how they're made up, remove any malicious scripts, sanitize videos, you know, take out potentially harmful macros, and then to be able to rebuild that file as more of a clean output and remove any of those potential threats can really go a long way. So it really comes to looking you know, outside the box when, it, when you're looking at your security program, beyond AV, look at CDR, and even setting some type of country of origin policy to have technical enforcement about where the file was made, where it was developed. And you can also catch threats in, in that way as well, if there may be you know, a list of countries that you don't want files coming in from. Well, that leads me to, to my next question, and that's uh, you know, why and how should uh, critical organizations effectively be checking the country of origin for software and files that are coming into the environments? 
Great question. So yes, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think it really comes down to a defense in depth strategy, layering different technologies to build as, as robust of a security program as possible through country of origin scanning and uh, through these different types of emerging technologies to gain better visibility into where the file was developed and to have less reliance, you know, simply on the name. It's pretty easy to rename a file and have it be something completely different than what we imagined. So if you can look down, you know, deep into the file and have a better idea of where that file was originally created, it can help us to prevent threats from, you know, nation states or, uh, you know, any type of country where we wouldn't expect the file to come from, from a certain vendor or, uh, or location, you know, that, that added visibility can go a long way to preventing this type of threat. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but, you know, what kind of attacks have you seen via portable media? Have you had anybody, any of your customers uh, report back to you on this kind of, you know, activity? Yes. You know, I, I try and keep open channels of communication with, you know, many different players in the industry, different customers, and, you know, frequently going to different events to try and keep a pulse on, you know, what the latest types of threats are. Um, and again, as I mentioned you know, early on, we were concerned about what was on the USB and we still very much are today. Don't, don't get me wrong. That still poses a massive risk. So we need to be looking, you know, at different threats. As we mentioned, many zero-day attacks can be carried in through USB, um, and even you know from different uh, countries, maybe trying to prevent. So CDR and country of origin scanning is very important. Uh, but when it comes to the USB device itself, we're seeing attacks emerge in that way as well. Um, many people think of you know mass storage to be the biggest threat when it comes to USB, which it, it definitely can be. Um, but we're seeing USB devices be weaponized now as well. Um, like a, a, a phone charger, for example, if you take the, the cable that, you know, we all use to charge our you know, Android or iPhone, um, we're seeing the actual cables become weaponized now. I'm not sure if you've heard of the OMG cable, uh, but this is an attack in which, you know, a USB charging cable that looks like what you may have for your iPhone can be weaponized. And it's extremely different, sorry, it's extremely challenging to see any difference between you know, that standard cable that you have and you use every day and this new weaponized attack. So we're seeing attackers become more creative than ever before. They're really thinking outside the box and trying to take those devices that we formerly trusted, you know, that they can pose a large risk. Even a USB mouse um, or keyboard, we're seeing attackers, you know, pop open the plastic uh, on the outside and, you know, really get into, you know, the different components of the mouse and try and blend threats in. So, you know, as attackers are becoming more creative with these different things, I think it's really crucial to you know, keep a list at your facility of what the trusted USB devices are, who those vendors may be. And if any device you know, seems to pop up or arrive at the entrance, make sure that you're aware of it, right? Check, uh, check that approved product list. Ensure that you don't have just a mess of old cables laying around that someone could tamper with. So really have a clear cut list of what vendors are allowed within your facility, what devices there are, and you know, prevent any excess from uh, laying around that might somebody may be able to slip some type of threat into. Okay, and do users understand this is a problem, and and do they embrace protecting removable media, or do they remain oblivious to the issue? And with that, do you have any suggested uh, best practices for them to employ? And I'd like to ask both of you guys that question. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'll start off and then Sal, feel free to jump in. You know, I think removable media devices, you know, in the world of cybersecurity and with cybersecurity professionals, 
they're a known threat that is definitely gaining a lot of attention. That being said, you know, for operators of critical infrastructure facilities, it may not be, you know, as blatant of a risk and something that's top of mind. Um, even for those within, you know, the, the cybersecurity profession, they're definitely thinking more of those USB mass storage drives, right? That that common thumb drive that we're thinking of that's been used in these threats. But I think we need to expand our scope. We need to look at the SD cards, the micro SD, you know, CDs, even floppy disks, right? Anything that's bringing data into a secure area, we need to be sure that we're scanning that to ensure that we can be as safe as possible. To think of every device that comes in as a potential threat can help to keep us all safer and you know, really maximize our uptime and maintain operations. Yeah, Greg, uh, from our perspective, you know, we're seeing um, just wide acceptance in portable media security from a broad range of industries that are, you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Industry 4.0, technology shifts like that are driving increased amount of data exchange between the, the industrial control systems and, and the corporate environment, and uh, they're deploying a, a wide range of different vendor technologies. And so there's a, a need for uh, bringing in uh, updates into that environment. And we're seeing uh, more and more industries embracing portable media security as a part of their overall security processes. Um, so as, as part of uh, best practices, uh, incorporating user controls around the use of portable media is important. And basically user access to that information that is uh, removed from the OT environment is also uh, an important part of the uh, security policy. So one other capability that is deployed is data loss prevention, for example, where information that's extracted from an environment that may be confidential is redacted so that that information can't compromise the organization going forward. So there's a wide range of security policies that can be wrapped around portable media security that should be adopted and has been adopted by a wide range of industries. Mm -hmm. And how do you see, uh, if I can sneak one more question in here, I mean, how is that area growing? Or I mean, for you guys, I mean, is that something that, uh, you know, it just, you know, it started off as, you know, started small years ago, and then it just keeps ratcheting up? Or is it still, or is it on the verge of just kind of really taking off? I could start by answering that. And Matt, of course, please add to it. Um, yeah, just years ago, uh, you know, it was uh, selling solutions, uh, like this portable media security solutions into regulatory or regulated industries like the nuclear industry. But we're seeing wide adoption across various vertical markets uh, from manufacturing, chemical, water, wastewater, electrical power generation, across a broad spectrum of uh, critical infrastructure markets, including finance, including medical, pharmaceutical. So the industry trends are really driving a heightened awareness of security and portable media security is a big part of that. Exactly. So I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. You know, I, I think in the beginning, it was definitely very compliance driven. And for the last five or so years, we've seen a true adoption across a really broad range of industries where USB and removable media threats are really being seen as a, as a massive risk to uptime and to production. And I think the more you do and the better you expand your cybersecurity strategy with a defense in-depth policy, I think USB is an absolutely critical component of any of this planning that you're doing to keep your operations more secure. 
Okay. Well, guys, that's about all the time we have for now. And Sal and Matt, I want to thank you for joining us today. And I appreciate you, you know, offering your insights. Correct. Thank you for offering the opportunity for us to talk about this topic. Yes. Thank you very much, Greg. Always nice to chat with you. I I very much appreciate the time. Okay. Well, for Sal and Matt, uh, this is Greg Hale saying thanks for joining us today with ISS Source. I appreciate it. Thank you.